Well, Russia will hand uh, Edward Snowden over to Trump as a graduation gift. Kind of sweet. <laughs> nice, but he was hoping for a couple of Fabergé eggs for Melania and Ivanka. So then, what do you know? And now, live from Madison, Wisconsin's High Noon Saloon, cold beer, hot music, nothing wrong with that, it's Michael Feldman's What Do You Know? In today's show, BBC science presenter and author of Storm in a Teacup, The Physics of Everyday Life, Helen Shursky. To my right is John Tulin, keyboards and offhand remarks. By his side, that stand-up guy on stand-up bass, Jeff Hammond. Straight ahead, so to speak, Lyle Anderson, Carol Unner, and phone answerer. And myself, most definitely, Stephanie Lee. And now, the man who would consider driving Uber if they do something about the name, Michael Feldman. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie Lee. Oh, please. Well, there's good news for Ivanka here. I just saw that uh, she was drummed out of Nordstrom's, as you know, with her line of uh, women's wear. Uh, but Ivanka has found a new home at Kmart, uh, right between <laughs> Nicki Minaj, her lace-up bodycon dresses, and uh, Adam Levine's women's uh, cowls. Did you know that Adam Levine is in women's dresses? Did you? Three doors down? I think there's a fourth door. I have no idea. I have no idea, but she's found a home there. Uh, okay, Adam Levine. Uh, Trump will send uh, young Republicans into the field to pick cotton in Texas and lettuce in California after the wall is built. It'll be good for them. They'll get in touch with the earth, which they've never done, I don't believe. Plus, he needs a lot of uh, housekeeping interns at Mar-a-Lago. No pay, but a lot of good experience. Uh, in a question and answer session, Trump could name only one branch of government, which he referred to as me. <laughs> it's ac actually the executive branch, Don. <clears throat> Uber is working on a flying Uber, the Uber Alice. Listen, can fly over the others, overall. Uh, which will actually be able to strafe and take out lift vehicles on the ground. So if we take them out on the ground, they're gonna win. Get them still in their hangers. Okay. Uh, 20 rabbis for Muslim rights were arrested for blocking the street in front of the Trump Tower in New York. Ah, New York, you gotta love it. Hell of a town, the Bronx is up, Bronx is up and the battery is down. New York, New York, 20 rabbis for Muslims. Thank you guys for making the effort. A streaking fireball meteor streaked uh, over Wisconsin pulls up just short of Milwaukee when it learns Trump will not be there. <laughs> we haven't had an act of God in Wisconsin for a while. It's a... <laughs> Unfortunately, it crashed then into a bratwurst plant in Sheboygan and uh, they're all cooked if you want to go up there. <laughs> Uh, Melania Trump, uh, not flattered by being called an elite escort. <laughs> I think it's a compliment. <clears throat> the British say uh, Donald Trump will only be allowed to address Parliament on a 10-second delay. So, I know what he feels on that. Any reference to the Queen or cheap shots at Prince Charles that are so easy. 
uh, and he's deported. Deportation at that point. Uh, okay, uh, a lot of good tidings for those of us uh, really hardly morbidly obese. I resent being called morbidly obese. Nothing morbid about it. Uh, first of all, a study finds that exercise is not the key to weight control. Uh, it should be a key for the refrigerator, actually. That's the key to weight <laughs> And Seriously. And secondly, late-night eating, uh, as, as far as weight gain, is a myth. It's one of the lesser myths, but it's a myth. Uh, if you can't remember raiding the refrigerator in the morning, you're home free. It didn't happen. <laughs> the body thinks it didn't happen. Just the same thing as it not happening. And scientists in scubas in South Africa have discovered the coastline of the lost megacontinent of Gondwana. Wait, wasn't that the movie where the guy plays in the women's NBA? Gondwana? Joanna Man. Okay, that's, that's not the continent, the mega continent of old. Joanna. It's a shikshik call it Joanna. It's kind of gonna, God, this is Gondwana, the continent. They found it. I have a map. I don't know if this interests you, but I thought, you know, they have this, there were two mega continents that fell apart and drifted and became everything we know now. And uh, there was Laurasia to the north here that we're, we were part of. With, that's... Uh, so Laura actually broke with Asia at some point and became us and, Where's and them. What? Atlantis. It's not on this map, oh. John. That's a different story entirely. Okay. Completely. This Gondwana in the south here. And it's, uh, it's right under uh, Mauritius. Wait a minute. Isn't that a basketball player? In the, uh, it's a good name. Anyhow. Microcontinent of Gondwana. Uh, now they're right off the coast of India. That interests only me, apparently. So I thought... <laughs> Too educational? I could do a TED talk on this, maybe it'd be a better idea. <laughs> well, here's something you don't want to discover, the Rotten Egg Nebula. In fact, a dying red giant star 5,000 light years away, uh, farting, actually farting. I know you say, well, that's a gross thing to say, but it's actually, it, it is the same, exact same, you could, you could test it. You could compare and contrast. It actually is emitting this, this uh, sulfurous gas identical with what we call farting. So why not call uh, what it is what it is? That's a gross thing to say. It is a gross <laughs> thing to say. It's a gross thing to happen. Now, it's 5,000 light years away, and the gas, the silent but deadly gas, is traveling at 621,371 miles per hour. So you don't want to catch a gust of that. You want to walk away from something. You don't walk away with that one of those, and it follows you, believe me. In fact, it gets there ahead of you. I don't know how, you know, that speed. You walk into it, you're always walking into it. If you've got one of those, you're going. So I tried to do the math on it to figure out when it would get to us. Okay, to, but it's, I should be able to do this, because I took, you know, in ninth grade, I took algebra. So, uh, the, you know, the speed of light is 670,616, no, no, 670,616,629 miles per hour. Uh, then, uh, it, it's an hour, okay, so 24 hours times 365 days, that's 8,060 hours. Uh, okay, I guess you weren't, you weren't a math. In a year times five light years, and that's where I stopped. I couldn't get past that, but it, I'm pretty sure we have a while before it hits us, <laughs> followed by complete extinction by fart. One of the less... 
elegant extinctions. All right, anyway. Here's an idea. Let's forget about this stupid, expensive, counterproductive wall and for a fraction of the cost, build a Colossus of Trump. A Colossus of Trump, astride the Potomac. One Oxford on each side of the Potomac. Huge, huge, I mean, it'll be huge. Colossus of Trump. The head can revolve. Oh my gosh. The head can revolve and scare off aliens of all types from all directions. <laughs> No? Okay. I thought it was a great idea. So. All righty. Cut that one. What's it called? All right. Okay. Uh, it'll be visible from space. It's everything that Trump could want, really, in a, in a monument to him. This wall is nothing. It's stupid. It won't be built. It makes no sense. It won't keep anybody from anywhere. Uh, but this will be a mod uh, wonder of the modern world, visible from space, uh, will be found intact in its strata 500 million years from now. I say, make Donald Trump great again for all time, Colossus of Trump. That's all the news that isn't. Thank you so much. Fake news you can count on from all the news that isn't. I don't know. I really thought I had something there. Not so much in Gondwana, but I thought with the Colossus of Trump, great thing. He'd be happy. We'd save all that aggravation. Not be able to get avocados from Mexico. <laughs> Avocados or little Volkswagens. That's ridiculous. Uh, storm in a teacup, the physics of everyday life. Do, oh, I, I have, I have my screen. Yes. Uh, Helen's online with us now. Helen Chersky from, uh, uh, she's a BBC presenter, and she's also, uh, one of the, technically, she is a, uh, she's a physicist at the University College London's Department of Mechanical Engineering, and she's a science presenter for the BBC. This is a wonderful thing. It's the physics of everyday life, and it shows the patterns that happen in our everyday life in physics uh, applied to everything as we go out. And so, it, it, well, it makes you interested in science, which we're not supposed to be anymore, apparently. So we're going to find out about that. And uh, Helen's on the line with us. Hello, are you there, Helen? I am, yes, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. A bit chilly here in New York, but uh, yep. yeah, doing well. Where did you get in from? Uh, I came from D.C. I've been, I've been around this week doing talks about the book, so I've, I've seen a lot of America this week. Yeah. Uh, and some places were warm, and this is definitely cold. Definitely cold. Okay. Well, don't come out here because it gets even worse, although we'd love to have you. <laughs> Where in Wisconsin? Are you familiar with, with Wisconsin? Uh, I've been a couple of times, but I haven't spent that much time there. Yeah. Okay. It's sort of like Scotland. <laughs> much in common. you were fried Mars bars. Yes, exactly. Uh, this is great. It's, now, you talk about the, the patterns that we see just around us in everyday life, around our household or whatever, or in a, in a cup of tea, uh, and not, uh, being replicated and duplicated and, you know, much larger, obviously, all around the planet and around the cosmos. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, it's, I, I felt that, I'm, you know, I'm a physicist, I've done, I've trained in physics, and I, I noticed the amount of fun I got out of spotting these patterns because the rules that, you know, the physical laws that make everything run work in just the same way in, you know, in your kitchen and on the streets, um, you know, in places you see every day as they do in posh experiments. And I just like playing with those patterns and recognizing them. So, yeah, and the idea is that, it, that the little, little everyday things aren't, 
you know, they're not trivial. They're not, oh, it's just this, it's just that. The same laws make all these big important things work, like, you know, energy generation and medical device testing and all this kind of stuff that you probably should know about if you're a citizen. Mm. Um, so I think we should play with those little toys because they actually teach us about the big important stuff. Yes, you're a big believer in toys. I am. <laughs> well, toys help you learn, right? And they're fun. So you might as well have the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. What, what's your current toy that you're playing with right now? I mean, not right now, but, you know, in general. I have. So I, I, I spot things. I spotted something um, a couple of days ago that my, um, I was cycling in the rain in London. It rains a lot in London. <laughs> and um, it was dark. It was a horrible, horrible evening. And I spotted that right in front of my bike lights, instead of seeing, um, you know, just streaks where my bike lights were illuminating the rain, what I was seeing was like little dashed patterns. And I realized that my bike lights are flashing, but too fast for me to see. Um, wow. So it was like flash, 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 and I was getting this image of the raindrop as it was going down, and that was a good toy. So I spent a while using my bike lights to do kind of high-speed photography because they could catch these things that were happening. You know, they were flashing maybe a hundred times a second. Yeah. Um, so that sort of—I mean, that's that's yeah. a bit of an obscure example, but you know, yeah. you notice things and then you play with them. Yeah. You know, in the wrong person, though, these insights could drive you crazy, couldn't they? Because everything you, you see suddenly—you see how it's working, like you're looking under the covers of everything. And it could stop you in your tracks if you realize suddenly, you're, you know, your, your bike was communicating with the cosmos in some manner. <laughs> well, fortunately, humans are really good at uh, sort of switching on and off. So it's not like I, I do. I do notice things in my everyday life, but I still, you know, get to work and, and get my sport done and all of that stuff. So what's nice is to have it, have it there as a tool set when you when you need it uh, so you can you can play the game of noting things you know if you're bored at a you know a, a metro stop or something you can just sort of notice things around you um, but it's you know it's it's more that you have them when you need them so i think physics a lot of the time is this framework is really useful because it's not about knowing the right answers it's being able to ask the right questions and if you can kind of switch on that bit of your brain when it's time to ask the right question then you're not helpless right and that's the important bit is that these little things they teach us things that stop us being helpless and that help us do things, as well as being fun, because you've got to be having fun while you're doing it. Yeah, and so much of science now is inexplicable to the person who hasn't studied it. Right? I mean, I mean you know, you can't understand muons and gluons, really, without a pretty good background in that. And then some of these things, so it helps to think of them in terms of other, of other ways that they're exhibited, right? Well, the thing is that, so what I realized is that there's quite, there's these, there's these basic rules of, you know, the physical laws. And they run almost everything. And you have to go way out into really extreme conditions to, to see the effect directly of a gluon or a muon, uh, you know, a dark energy. You have to really try hard. And, but people talk a lot about quantum mechanics and cosmology and all these big, complicated things. But actually, most of science is right here in the world that we live in. And no one talks about it. And I thought that was ridiculous. Um, so even though there are, you know, the edges, like any topic, you know, if it's art or music, whatever it is, if you go out to the edges where people are really pushing boundaries, it gets a little bit harder to understand. But there's so much in the middle, uh, you know, that explains how tall trees grow and why coffee stains are the shape they are. And, you know... Uh, all these little things, so there's, there's a lot in the middle, and I think the problem is we talk about the edges, and it makes it sound as though that's all there is. But actually, most of it is going on right here in the everyday world. And, you know, I study, I study bubbles, uh, the bubbles underneath breaking yeah. waves out on the ocean. Yeah. And you can see them, and yet we can't understand them, just because it's, it's a little bit more complicated, but at least you can see it's there. Um, so I think, I generally think you shouldn't worry too much about the universe until you understand your toaster. Because no. it's got a lot of the same physics in it, and yeah. it makes toast. You know, what's not to like? Yes. 
uh, I met a bubble person from the UW one time. He came to my show, uh, and uh, he was in bubble physics. Or bubble, what's the actual name of bubbles physics? There isn't, there isn't really there isn't one. one. People occasionally make one up, which is bubbleology, but I don't think that's a real world. No, there so, should be. A, so I just call myself a bubble physicist. Bubbles. What, what drew you to bubbles? Um, I was interested in things that could be right in front of your nose that happened just too fast and were just too small to see. So you know they're there. You can't quite see what's going on because we're, we're just not fast enough. So I got into high-speed photography during my PhD and looking at the world of very small things happening very quickly. And then I'm, I wanted to apply what I could do to something, you know, that, that sort of mattered and made a difference in the real world. And studying the oceans gave me that. And so I kind of sneaked into it sideways. But it's, it's great because the stuff I study, you know, if you've ever... Um, swum underneath the breaking wave, for example, or, you know, got caught up at the beach in a, in a breaking wave. There's loads of stuff going on. Bubbles are breaking up and breaking up, and there's all this stuff moving around, and they're spitting tiny particles into the air, and it's right there, and you can almost see it, but yeah. not quite. And that was the bit that interested me, that ah. sort of just, just beyond what you can perceive. And are you, um, are you looking at the military applications of bubbles? I haven't very, no, not very much. I did, um, I have a little bit, occasionally I review papers about things, but um, there are, you know, the, the, the thing about military science is that they don't tell the rest of us what they're up to. Yeah. So they have studied bubbles a lot, especially in the context of the ocean, because bubbles respond very strongly to sound. These are underwater bubbles, like in the wake, you know, behind the boat. Mm -hmm. And um, the military have spent a lot of time studying those because they can tell you a lot about what's going on, about oh. what's in the water and right. that kind of thing. But the problem is they don't really tell the rest of us what they know. Um, so they're, they're a little bit disconnected from the rest of science quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, so, we, for example, uh, gravity is, is a tough one, isn't it? Because gravity, you, know, you can go do, look for gravity waves and build these huge things that they build in LIGO or whatever that is. Or you can talk about gravity and the carrot cake. Yeah, you might as well. I mean, like, I've been to LIGO, and it's, a, it's an astonishing experiment, and the yeah. detection of gravitational waves is amazing. But, you know, whenever you make a cake and you weigh out ingredients, you know, you've got some scales. What you're doing is using the planets. What they don't tell you in recipe books is that if you want to, um, you know, make a cake, you, you need all the ingredients you think of, you know, the eggs and the flour and the sugar. Um, but in order to measure how much of them you've got, you also need something the size of a planet. And then what all scales are, you know, like the scales in your kitchen, they're just something you put between the flour and the planet to work out how big the flour is. That, that, that's all scales are, but you need a planet there for it to work. Um, so, you know, you've got all this planetary physics, and then you've got, if you want to make carrot cake, you need a planet. So you might as well talk about that planet. And it's quite a nice idea, you know, that what, what scales are doing is actually directly measuring the gravitational pull between the object that you're holding or that you've just put on the scales and the Earth. Um, you know, so you, you, so you can play with the planet yourself. Yeah. Doesn't that, doesn't that really complicate the making of carrot cake? Well, not really, because you can just use the scales the way you were taught. But if you want to think about it a little bit more, it's like one of the, it's a nice thing to think about when you're, you know, that bit in the, maybe while you're waiting for the cake to bake in the oven or you're waiting for it to cool down, whatever it is. It's just, you know, let your mind wander a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then those, the same things that explain, you know, the way gravity works also explains, for example, um, why, why the Titanic sunk. You know, it's the same physics. 
Um, and if you put raisins in lemonade, which is a great, so in soda, if you get some, you know, sort of fizzy water, mm-hmm. any kind of soda, and you put raisins in it, they'll start to dance. Uh, I highly recommend that uh, as an activity. And, and it's happening because of gravity. And the same physics explains why the Titanic sunk and how various, um, you know, cantilevered bridges work. And, and so you start to see, instead of the world being this kind of, like, oh, here's a thing, and here's a thing, and here's a thing, you start to see the system that's underneath it, and, and then when you recognize the patterns for yourself, and, and that's, that's a, a great feeling. So you're telling me that raisins dancing and lemonade in the Titanic were the same thing? Well, it's the same bit of physics, yeah. yeah. So if you, what happens if you, if you get, um, you know, uh, kind of one of those big bottles of, of soda, you know, sort mm. of um, without any color so you can see what's going on, take the lid off, take the label off, put some raisins <laughs> in the top, and you'll, they'll sink down to the bottom, and mm. then... They, the, they'll grow themselves bubbles in the wrinkles, and then they'll rise up to the top, turn over and get rid of all the bubbles and sink back down. And when oh. they're at the top of the lemonade, um, they're less dense overall than the water, and those bubbles are exactly like the watertight compartments on the Titanic. And in the case of the Titanic, the hull was breached, so the bubbles popped. And in the case of the bubbles, you know, they just kind of pop into the air and the raisin loses that little bit of buoyancy and so it sinks back down. And then there's kind of this nice coincidence that the size of a raisin compared with the depth of a soda bottle, you know, a big one, um, is almost exactly the size of the Titanic relative to the depth of the ocean it sank in. Um, so it's the same bit of physics, you know, that more dense things sink and the less dense things tend to rise. Um, and you can learn it in a, in a bottle of lemonade or soda. We call it lemonade in the UK. And, uh, and then you can use it to actually decide how to do things in the world. So if, if we had learned that lesson, might we have adverted, uh, averted the Titanic sinking? Well, the, Titan- the design of the Titanic yeah. was really interesting. It's more complicated than that. So they, it is a bit more complicated than that, but they, they were too confident, basically. Yeah. They didn't take into account that more than two of their bulkheads would be breached. So, so it's not so much... They understood the principle, but they didn't allow enough of a safety margin. And then, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know... Um, whether or not they should have stopped, because they, they, they knew there were icebergs there. They should have stopped until daylight, but they were so keen to keep going that they didn't. Um, and then it was a very early use of radio waves that sent out the SOS signal that, that saved some of the people that had lived, you know. And, and so very, if it wasn't for radio waves, if they hadn't been invented just only, you know, 10 or 20 years before, no one would have survived the Titanic incident. So there's a lot of, you know, history and culture bound up in these scientific ideas that either explain why things are the way they are or let, you know, civilizations decide how to develop in the future. Yeah. You know, you know one I always liked a lot of these various things that happen, uh, the Brownian uh, movement thing. Oh, yeah. That so, was kind of a cool thing because they had it for a long time before they knew what it was. Yes. So it was about 270 years, I think. And that's one of the things about science is that if you're observant, uh, and it happens in everyday life as well. You know, I've, I've done this plenty of times. You'll notice something, you go, oh, that's a bit odd. And you have a bit of a think about it. And, and then you sort of forget. And then sometime later, something else comes along. And you, and you go, oh, right, I can see the pattern here. And now I realize why that first thing happened. And Brownian motion, it was this observation that as soon as, almost as soon as microscopes were invented, um, somebody spotted that if you had very, very tiny particles in water and you looked at them very hard they were sort of jiggling about and and that was very strange because if you just put something and you left it still why would it jiggle around and no one really understood what was going on and then it was only in the early 1900s in 1905 um, when Einstein realized that actually this movement 
was exactly what you would expect if atoms existed. And up till that point, there's been some people who didn't believe in atoms. And he was able to show that exactly this pattern could only be generated if atoms existed. And it's exactly matched the observations. And so it was 270 years from that initial observation. And what science does, you know, it's continuing about collecting evidence and thinking about ideas and testing things. And if you hang on long enough, you have some, a little weird observation. You can use that to keep building science. Uh, and that's how the system works. And sometimes it does take a long time. It wasn't the, didn't the Greeks come up with atoms? I mean, it was a long time. So Democritus, yeah, yeah, had this idea that something could be indivisible, but it was never taken that seriously. It was no. more a philosophical concept, and yeah. they had no evidence for it. Um, so right into the you know, 16th and 17th centuries, most science, the sort of general assumption was that matter was sort of continuous. You know, you could chop it up and chop it up and chop it up, and yet it just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And along the way, people did think, oh, well, maybe there's little bits at the bottom, but no one could prove they were there, because how do you see an atom? You know, it's so, so tiny. Um, and so it was this indirect evidence that was the real clincher. Even in the late 1800s, the chemists thought there were atoms, because they noticed that, you know, certain elements reacted in very fixed ratios. There were always... Two, two lots of hydrogen and one lot of oxygen, and exactly mm. that ratio gave you water. And they were like, well, that's only really going to happen if you've got you know, a sort of little thing at the bottom of it all, and you have two of them and one of the other. Yeah. But there were a lot of people who weren't convinced. Um, and so it required, and it's an extraordinary claim, and it required extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And that was what the Brownian motion provided. And it also brings up the whole thing about someone having this remarkable insight in Democritus or whoever, or Einstein for that matter, having this insight that leaps experimentation and comes to the right answer, or, uh, it turns out after years, but as far as science, you know, you come to an answer by experimentation, but sometimes it's just this leap of faith. Well, I think, so that's, that's often the perception, but actually that, no. that sort of moment of intuition is almost always based on a huge amount of work. And it's like those things where, you know, you've got a problem just in your life in general, and you kind of can't, you know, you sort of chew it over and chew it over, and then you wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, that's how the pieces fit together. Yeah. Um, and so it's like that. So these times in history where, you know, the history books say, oh, and this scientist came up with this idea, it's never, ever come from just nowhere. They've been thinking about it and playing with it and kind of prodding this idea and looking at the evidence. And then, you know, you wake up, and I've done this as a, a practicing scientist, you know, you wake up and you go, oh, maybe the pieces fit together this way. Yeah. But it's not actually that moment. It's, it's all the work that goes into it that lays the foundation right. for the moment to be possible. Yeah, because I thought I had something here in my Bloody Mary Earl. I thought, I, I noticed that the pepper flakes were actually moving on their own. But that, that's, that's simple <laughs> that's Brownian probably, motion. That's probably turbulence in the, uh, turbulence. In the glass. It's a little bit big to be Brownian motion. But yes. it would look, you know, it's the same kind of jiggling around. But, yeah. you know, things are, you're looking at things closely, right? That's where it all starts. Yes, got to. I, I love your quote from Isaac Asimov about, it's not Eureka, but hmm, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and we've done that. That's a real thing. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. people will turn up and laugh and go, oh, this is a bit weird. Why has that happened? Yeah. Um, and scientists love that because it means there's something to go digging. You know, you have to collect more evidence. You have to work out a way of doing this experiment. And that's the fun bit is, oh, you know, you've got a problem, to, a puzzle to solve. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got this framework of, you know, the way the world works. And you use those tools to solve the puzzle. And then you move on to the next puzzle. Uh, and, it, and you can do it in everyday life as well. And it's great fun. Yeah. 
Are, are you still practicing science in the UK? Yes, I'm still an academic at University College London. But I mean, I, in, in, in general, because here in America, we're not allowed to do science anymore. You may have. <laughs> well, I've been I've been hanging out in the last few days with a lot of quite enthusiastic science people, and yes. I, I think there's definitely. Um, you know, the scientists are definitely uh, not feeling too good about the general situation, but yeah. science carries on, you know. This is the way we find out how the world is. And uh, and it's, it's got an amazing track record. It's not right about everything, but we've got, you know, I'm talking to you on a phone from a long way away, and we've all got, you know, smartphones that we can tweak people on, and, and the, the track record of science is extremely good. So it's always had fits and starts, but I think that this is where it starts, right, is that people yeah. having enough confidence and understanding how the scientific process works by playing with it for themselves. And then you have confidence in the rest of the system of science. So there is actually a really important reason. Even, you know, even if you're not a scientist, you still need to understand how your world works. And by, by having the confidence to sort of play with it and spot these patterns, you see a little bit of what the scientists see, and then everyone can you know, sort of move forward together a little bit. So I, I think it's, it's really important that science isn't separate from everyone else. And that's part of the battle, which is yeah. about to happen, I think. Well, I mean, I, in the UK, do you have the same battle between politics and science uh, that we're it's having here not, at the moment? It's not, it's not as bad. So yeah. we do definitely have people who are, have ideological opposition to some things, and they sort of mix up science and their opinions on the way you should run the world, which are two separate things. Mm -hmm. um, but we generally we are much more um we don't it's it's it, we don't have the same um sort of animosity towards science in some quarters we generally you know there are always people who are going to misuse evidence and they're going to take the one bit of evidence that looks like it supports them and ignore the 99 bits of evidence that that don't but in general um we we're in a we're in slightly better shape i think and we've got a really one of the reasons for that is that we've got really good communities of people who talk about science and who show what they're doing. They, you know, it's open. It's not hidden away. They say, look, this is what we're doing. We want to talk about it. Um, and, you know, we've got journalists who ask good questions. And, and so it's, um, it's always, we always want the public to understand science better, right? Or yeah. scientists. Firstly, we're biased. And secondly, we see, that, you know, we've got a different perspective on the world because we can see these patterns. So life is a lot less confusing when you can see the patterns. Yeah. And in the UK, we're working very hard to share that. You know, we have lots of science festivals and talks and radio shows. Um, and, it, and science is more folded into popular culture, which is yeah. a lovely thing. And the BBC is so, is so good in that. Yeah, the BBC has been excellent. And, you know, those shows are starting to be available over here. And the nice thing about working, at, you know, being a, a presenter or a host for the BBC is that I get to, to do both things, to take a really rigorous examination of the science and think about the best way to communicate it to someone who just doesn't happen to think about this very much. And it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a lovely, it's a good thing for scientists to do. You know, one thing scientists are not always very good at is listening. But the scientific method is a wonderful thing to share, and so it's great fun to be able to share that. Yeah, and plus, isn't there, there is sort of a household scientist tradition in the UK, where uh, you know Darwin worked on snails in his backyard or something, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, we have the amateur scientist thing has yeah. been uh, very strong, and it's you know what it's. I mean, that's one of the nice things is that 
almost all scientists have little projects that are not really part of the science they're supposed to be doing, but it's just kind of a habit to play with the world. Um, and so uh, Darwin was all about barnacles, I think, and he did, he played with snails. He played the, tr- there's some wonderful thing where he played the trumpet at a worm, <laughs> just, or the trombone, just to see what it would do. And he'd recruit his kids to, you know, help him carry out these experiments just to see what happened. And so it's, you know, the, sometimes you can't switch it off. But it is, it is, there is a, a history of, and one of the reasons for it was actually in the Victorian era in Britain, they really valued um, talking about science. So, uh, you know, in the evening activities, you might go to a concert or to a music, you know, performance, or you might go to a science lecture. Oh. And we, we had the Royal Institution in London, which is the first one-way street in England. And the reason it was the first one-way street is because the lectures at this institution were so popular that the traffic got completely snarled up and they had to make the street one way. So, and that was because science, everyone was, you know, you could see the Industrial Revolution happen, you could see these big engines, the future was almost here, and people wanted to hear about it. And that tradition carried on of sort of discussion, mm-hmm. open discussion of science and scientific methods. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, you see the problem, if you're limited to the science that Donald Trump can understand, it's, it's definitely going to limit, limit uh, science, I think. I think there, is, there are some people who, you know, ideology trumps, uh, that's not meant to be a pun, but, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it wins out against logic. It's very hard to get a human to change their mind, and, and we're all guilty of it to some extent. There's something called motivated reasoning, which is where yeah. the human brain will, you know, take a new piece of information and try and fit it into what it already thinks rather than seeing it as an... And we all do it a little bit. And part of being a scientist is training yourself out of that. that When you see this evidence, you've got to go, okay, right, what does this really mean? Whether or not I agree with it. And it's definitely a habit that politicians don't always have. No, starting with your conclusion. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Very frustrating for scientists, that. The book is wonderful. Storm in a Teacup, The Physics of Everyday Life. Uh, Helen Chersky, thank you very much. Thank you. Great pleasure talking with you. Storm in the teacup. So all right there now. Yeah, I'm gonna demonstrate a scientific principle right here. What is this called? Gravity. <laughs> yeah, try picking it up now, buddy. All right, so okay, Jeff, anything you wanna say about science? Or did you, did you like science in school, Jeff? Yes. Oh, you don't have a microphone. I'm sorry. <laughs> what about you then, John? What did you? What was your favorite science class? I liked kind of more the theoretical type stuff. Uh, oh, involved too much math than yeah. I. Well, for example, kind of, what? well, some of the physics. Sucking an egg in a yes. bottle—that sort of yeah, theoretical. Yeah, was always good. Yeah. yeah. The penny and the feather drop at the same time in a vacuum. So you had to go up to the Tower of Pisa to do that well, one. Well, no. Huh? That only. What if it only happened from the Tower of Pisa? Well, that would be interesting. Though. It would corrupt all the we'd data. Have to, we'd have to alter our conclusions. I think so. Yeah. What about this song here, speaking of altered conclusions? Uh, this is, I'm gonna, I don't have a title, so I'm going to call it Altered Conclusion.
Thank you. All right, come on. Very, very nice. Nice. Very nice. What, what inspired that tune? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Dropping your keys? Dropping my keys. No, I worked on it this week. You did? But uh, isn't it inspirational? Or are you just, uh, does tunes start going through your head? A few notes? Sometimes the tune starts going through my head. Like notes. when I'm away from the piano sometimes. Watching little... cartoons and hear a few. But that one, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a connection to uh, an old, old school blues piano player in Chicago, Jimmy Yancey. Yeah. This is kind of a, a souped-up version of... Yeah, very nice. Stuff. Very Thank nice. Thank you. Very nice. Didn't you think? I thought so, too. Yes, okay. From the audience here. Oh, Stephanie, were you a science person in school? No, I didn't like science very much. Okay. I like math. You can use your mic, I guess. I, I love I loved math, you like but math? I had horrible science teachers. Yeah, what, so. what science was it? Um, I took a lot of science classes and they were all awful. I remember all off couldn't all be awful. No, they were. Where were you going at the time? Uh, I went to school in Kentucky. And oh, say no more. Yeah. <laughs> Scopes trial wasn't the Scopes trial in Kentucky. No, it's Tennessee. Tennessee. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, so for as an example, in advanced placement chemistry class which I had to wake up at like six in the morning to go. Yeah. To. It was like yeah. a zero hour class. Uh -huh. we zero made, hour. <laughs> we made moles, like fabric moles, moles instead of learning what moles are. <laughs> but They're what better way to learn what a mole is, which I never did. Me neither. From hearing the explanation, <laughs> Avogadro's number, is that part of a mole? Who's right. Avogadro? Why does he have my number? <laughs> I don't understand it times whatever to the whatever. What is a mole? It's the smallest thing you can have that's a that's part of a larger thing it's a unit of, of an element it'd be a molecule like the molecule but it's not a molecule it's just i'm gonna find out for you and this will make okay. it all better who knows, can someone actually explain what a mole is to me I bet honestly I, and i i memorized the number i forget what it is now but i think Pete is avogadro here by any chance that would be pete you again what is this your show all of a sudden <laughs> Pete. Everything's about Pete. Everything comes back to Pete. Pete, Pete, oh. Pete, Pete, Pete. Pete and repeat. That's all we get. All right, Pete. Uh, what is it? A mole is a unit of measure. Okay, so it represents the number of atoms mm -hmm. in... So one mole of atoms will weigh as much as the atomic weight. The same thing twice in two different ways. <laughs> yeah, it is. So maybe I don't. The atomic weight is something, and the atoms weigh what their atoms weigh. You know, I mean, the atom is going to weigh what. You yeah, know. I get on the spot and I just clam. I know. I mean, well, it's, it's, you're working for the state, though. You're, you're, <laughs> hi, hi, dear. Do you know what a mole? This is my daughter here, Nora. Nora, uh, what is a mole? Um, what Pete said. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nora. That's why we sent you to school. Anyone here actually give me an answer to that where I could understand it? It's the smallest, if you have a thing, a molecule. I thought that the moles what, were yes. different. How many moles in a guacamole? Oh, now we're descending to that, are we? <laughs> Anyone here? We must. Do we have any people who are actually chemists or scientists or... 
make things in their basement or something of a volatile nature? But I asked Google, and it knows better. All right. It's not going to make a whole lot more sense. Okay. Have her say it. What? Oh, no. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have Siri. It's Google. Okay. The mole is a unit of measurement in the international system of units for the amount of a substance. It is defined as the amount of a chemical substance that contains as many elementary entities, example, atoms, molecules, ions, electrons, <laughs> photons, as there are atoms in 12 grams of carbon-12. Oh, my God, that straightens it out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, This is I what see. we got to get past if we're going to start to love science again. Yeah. You know? Let's go to inches and feet. Maybe I that's like biology because you got to dissect Star frogs. That was useful. Okay. Uh, let's see. Some of the questions. I don't know. You know, they say, is it a problem doing a, a uh, show in a saloon, the high noon saloon? No. You know, the bar atmosphere. Apparently, look at some of the questions I get. Uh, beer chaser? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Will you pay my bar tab? Steve from Evansville wants to know. <laughs> Where am I and how are you doing? <laughs> Shouldn't the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum be empty? <laughs> that's, that's, that's drinking good. related. Yeah. Gotta be. Yeah. Gotta be. And you guys are going, where are you going after this? To the garden show. The garden show. Yeah. If you weren't going to the garden show, would you have a drink? Maybe. And what, what is, what is, what is uh, the big uh, draw at the garden show today? All the garden... Those uh, plants that smell so bad, corpse flower or something? I don't think so. I think um, the, all the new toys that you can buy and still have weeds in July. <laughs> oh, that's what it is, just for implements and stuff? Well, no, you Sprinklers get... Sprinklers and... Yeah, a lot of that, but you can get landscaping. Big gardener? I'm a little gardener. <laughs> gardener, but, but you, you're you really into it, I mean. Yes, I do enjoy it a lot. What is your favorite thing that you're, you're now growing mm. successfully? <laughs> uh, ooh, that's a tougher question. <laughs> um, I like... And can I get some from you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, come by. <laughs> okay. All right, well, uh, and your name is? Mary. Mary. Okay, you want to leave it at Mary? That's fine. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> All right, we need someone here to play the What Do You Know quiz, and I don't know, uh, I'm sort of looking for volunteers now, and uh, I don't, don't leap out of your chairs. You don't have to know what a mole is. I guarantee you it's not on the quiz, and I still don't know. I, I would like to understand it. It's not that I don't want to understand it. It's just never been explained to me where I could understand it. it were you raising it? What? I think a third track at it. No, no, you're not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and take that to them. All right, and yeah, hello, is that you? Did you raise something? I was just, you know, you were looking for somebody to take the quiz. I thought, what the okay, heck? Okay, stand up here a second. Let's see if you qualify. Yes, you qualify. Thank what's, you. what's your name? Uh, Steve. Steve? Yes. From here, Steve? Uh, Cottage Grove. Steve from Cottage Grove. Come on up and play the What Do You Know quiz. We got fabulous prizes. For simply knowing what you probably already know. No questions about moles or Avogadro or his number. Oh, it's an amazing thing, I'm sure. Once you understand it, have a seat there. I don't want to be anti-scientific. I'm very pro-science. I just don't get a lot of it. Oh, Steve. How are you? Yeah, take a coat off. Thanks, at home. Thanks. Thanks very much. Yeah. 
Cottage Grove, huh? What you yep. do? What you do in Cottage Grove? Uh, not much. Okay. okay. Put right up. There. <laughs> Are we getting Steve? That's you hear that? Say, it, say it again. Steve from Cottage Grove. No, no, say it's not much. <laughs> oh, no, not much. Okay, good. Um, what? <laughs> You. Well, uh, what, uh, what, uh, are you have a profession? Are you in a school? Or are you? Uh, no, I work over at WPS. You make, well, at where? where? At WPS, the health solutions place. Oh, you do? Oh, health yeah. solutions. That's what it's called now, huh? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they have various solutions you take for your health, or is that? Well, I, I don't give the solutions, I just help them. Yeah, okay. I like the intravenous ones, so you don't have to actually bother with them. But it's hard to carry that bottle around with you everywhere. <laughs> That's true. That's the only thing. What do you do for kicks, Steve? I play pool and sing karaoke. Really? Yep. What, what's the number you're working on now in karaoke? Uh, <laughs> David Allen Coe, you never even call me by my name. You never even call me by my name. Here we go. <laughs> um, That's not it? Not that version. He doesn't know all of it. <laughs> Is there another one other than out of the David Allen Coe songbook? Uh, let's see. Or outside of it? How does it go? Just give us a few bars that David Allen goes on. It was all I could do to keep from crying. That's good. More, a little more. More? Yeah. Sometimes it seems so useless to remain. But you don't have to call me darling, darling. You never even called me by my name. I love it. That was really, really good. I got goosebumps. Look, those are actual. You think you do? Yeah, you too. <laughs> well, that's great. Have you had a lot of luck with that, uh, particularly? I, I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you, you can win these things, right? I don't do the contest so much. No, you don't. No, I just like to go. And just like and a, sing. Get, and sing. Yeah. Sit. Well, that's great. That's Garden. great. I love that. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. That's a great song too. Yeah. Is was that his song? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a terrific song. Oh, Steve, uh, I can't work past goosebumps like this, but I'm going to try someone out there. We'll play along with you in our uh, quiz. How does that work then, Steph? Goosebumps? If people want to play the quiz, they're going to pick up the phone and dial 608-250-3222 and answer this qualifying question. Okay, this should be a no-brainer. That's what we're famous for. Uh, here's the question, qualifier. Uh, where can't you find the 360 cashmere Ivana cold shoulder cashmere sweater dress? Where can't you find it? No, a lot of her stuff is cold shoulders. You notice that? I think that has something to do with Ivanka. Uh, 360 cashmere Ivanka cold shoulder cashmere sweater dress. Where can't you find it? Where is that screen? Oh, there it is down there waiting for those phones to ring off. Did you give the number? Yes, I think you did. Yeah, that number again is 608-250-3222. Prissy is uh, on the line. Hi, Prissy. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. How are you, Michael? Oh, oh, pretty good. Where are you? Connecticut. Oh, in Connecticut. Ooh. Wonderful. What, what are you up to this morning? I'm watching you on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> but when you get through with that task, what are you going to do? Well, I collect postcards, and I'm putting my postcards away. <laughs> That's very sweet. Do you have a lot of them? Yes, I do. How many postcards would you say you had? I wouldn't guess. No. 
You know who does that? Lyle Anderson. And does he? All the trips we go to, he goes out for postcards, and, and they don't exist in a lot of places anymore. They don't have postcards. Like picture postcards, do you mean? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Tell Lyle to send his postcards to me. <laughs> well, I can't tell him that, Prissy, but I can suggest that if, if he wants to get rid of them. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. What, what's, mm -hmm. Do you have like a collector's, like maybe your favorite postcard? Well, I collect places that I've lived oh. and like to visit. You know, that's probably the key things. Yeah. So. so, and of that genre of postcard, which one is your favorite? Which one is my yeah. favorite? It's hard to pick one, I'm sure. Uh, I, you know, I vacation up in the Adirondacks. Oh, oh nice. And um, that's kind of the way I got started because they had this fantastic photographer that did these beautiful black and white uh, oh, nice. uh, pictures. Yeah. So I started there. It's just I just like it. Either you like something or you don't, you know, I and know. I do, so. That, that's uh, what a mole is. <laughs> that, that's yeah. what? Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Steve, this is Prissy. Prissy, Steve. Hello. Hi, Steve. Did you hear you? Steve sing? Yes, I did hear Steve sing. He's Steve. got a great You're voice. So good. He's got a great voice. All right, so if you work together, you are a team now. You collaborate, and uh, we have various categories, don't we, Stephanie? We do. Those categories are current events, people, places, things you should have learned in school, had you been paying attention, <laughs> science, and odds and ends. Struck you as funny at that point? Yeah, I was thinking about the moles. <laughs> <laughs> See, maybe you weren't paying attention. No, I was. Okay. We just, we didn't learn about moles. We learned about... <laughs> That'll teach you to moles. pay attention in school. <laughs> All right, uh, Prissy, let's go to you first. What would you like? What category would you like? Uh, odds and ends. Odds and ends. All right. This could be really odd or it could be really end. <laughs> Are pigs more likely to have a pessimistic outlook if they're in a bad mood? Talk it over now with Steve. Pigs. Uh... Well, Steve might naturally would say yes, but I, I don't know. Yes. Maybe that's maybe it should be no because a kind of a trick. I Steve? don't know what pig. I don't know much about pig psychology, but no. Yeah. <laughs> well, who does really? <laughs> I would suggest it, it's I a mean, growing it's a, field, though. <laughs> now that we can't study humans, we're going to pigs. We did have a wildlife psychiatrist on the show last week. I know, but that was last week. <laughs> this is this same. week. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so you say yes? Yes. 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 All right. Where is that bell? <laughs> yes, pigs are likely to have a pessimistic outlook if they're in a bad mood. Okay, so that's helpful to know in pig psychology. That would be... That's one, right? And the remaining categories right. are current events, people, places, things you should have learned in school, and science. Steve? I'll try science. What was your favorite class in school? Science or... Uh, you were a science guy. Or, yeah. yeah. Science, Do you have a good yeah. science teacher? That makes a difference, doesn't it? I had a number of good ones. Yeah. Can't remember his name, though. No, no. <laughs> Mr. Zinzer for me. Yeah. Way back in Milwaukee in the day. Very good. What did you say you wanted? Uh, science. Science. Yep. Did you say science? Yeah. Isn't that a coincidence? Uh, female spiders who cannibalize their mates after mating, do they have three times, two times, or like no offspring ever again? Three times as many. Okay. All right, we're talking about female spiders who eat their mate after mating. Sometimes before, you know, if they're in a bad mood, you got to catch them at the right time. Let's start again. Female spiders who cannibalize their mates after mating, do they have three times more offspring, two times more offspring, or like no offspring ever again? Talk it over now. It's about spiders. What do you think, Steve? It's about uh, cannibalism. It's got everything. 
I'm not quite sure, but I mean, Mating. my gut reaction is like three times. I, I would say I think they do that all the, all their life, so I don't think they would that nothing at all would would make any sense. So, they, so it's, it's between uh, three times and, and, and none. Times. So yeah, you'd say two I, times. Want to split the difference? Yeah, two times. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Twice well as many. Isn't that funny? You'd think the other spiders would be watching that. <laughs> that would scare me off. I see that happen. Oh, God. Uh, well. I ain't going to be with her. <laughs> Maybe you're easy to be scared, Michael. <laughs> no, wouldn't that scare you if you saw, like, a friend of yours mating, and afterwards she ate him? <laughs> Enjoyed that. Uh, I wouldn't want to date her. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to meet her. That's for sure. No, that's, that's, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Go, yes, go ahead. Should I continue? Yes. Two right, and the remaining categories are current events, people, places, and school. Yeah. Oh, back to you, Prissy. Uh, people. People. This could be uh, anything. Millennials. <laughs> a favorite of mine because I'm trying to learn about them. <laughs> I have a couple in the family. Uh, all right, uh, they ask millennials what sort of, of, of governance system they would most like to be in, <laughs> apparently. Uh, and they, the millennials, here's the question. Millennials most want to be part of, uh, this is a social organization, let's say. Millennials most want to be a part of A, a cacistocracy, B, a hierarchy, or C, a holocracy, based on, on holograms. Oh. I don't even know what those are. Well, you're not a millennial, are you? <laughs> Probably not. Maybe you are. No. Talk it over now. Uh, right over the top of my head. Cacistocracy, rule of the worst. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> uh, hierarchy, where there's a, you know, a top to bottom kind of, or a hologramocracy, which is more of a, uh, I don't know what hologram is, so it's more like that. <laughs> I would say the third. Third, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. That's what it is, a holocracy for millennials, because they know what it is and we don't. Congratulations, you won this. Holy cow! Steve, you've won, free of extra costs, the classic What Do You Know podcast t-shirt featuring Bella in her role as her dad's voice in size, medium or small, except no substitutes. Yeah, we only got mediums and small. <laughs> Prissy, say be mine to your honey this Valentine's Day wearing the 10-inch long inflatable vinyl beard of bees and let the swarming begin from Seattle's Archie McPhee at McPhee.com. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Steve, we'll get you a medium and a small. Okay? Give Steve a round of applause. Percy, hang out, make sure you get all that stuff. Thank you so much for playing. What do you know? podcast is produced, hosted, and no one else to blame by Michael Feldman, made possible by Kickstarter and the best audience a guy ever had, and depends in large measure on John Tuline, Jeff Hammond, Aubrey Ralph, Lyle Anderson, Dylan Brogan, Sheila Shigley, and yours, most definitely, Stephanie Lee. Watch us grind our sausage live on YouTube at youtube.com slash user slash whatiatube, and enjoy the finished salami on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google+.
Google Play. Follow us on Facebook for news, videos, and you never know what. Mine a mother load of what do you know nuggets at whatdoyouknow.net. Follow Michael on Twitter where his nom de screen is at my Feldman. And if you'd like to support what do you know, look for us on patreon.com where for as little as $3, you can make Michael break into song or consider becoming an on-air sponsor to promote your goods, your services, or yourself. Over 50,000 What Do You Know downloads and growing. Thank you all for joining us here at the High Noon Saloon. Thank you for listening on your podcast device and, and YouTube, you YouTubers. Very important to us. Talk to you again real soon. Boys in the band. John and Jeff, Stephanie Lee. Talk to you soon.